Well, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I want to begin by telling you a story I just heard about recently. A guy was marooned on a deserted island. He'd been there for years and years and years. Well, one day he saw a plane passing by, and so he ran down to the beach, jumped up and down, waved his hands to try to get the pilot's attention, and the pilot saw him. And so the pilot circled the island. He saw a strip of dirt, and so he landed the plane. Well, as you can imagine, the guy was absolutely ecstatic. So he ran to the pilot and said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for landing. I have been stranded here for years. And the pilot said to him, great, go get the others and we'll get out of here. And he said, well, but I'm the only one here. And the pilot was a little myth. And he said, well, I don't understand. Why did I see three huts? He said, oh, he said, he says, that first hut, that's where I live. The second hut is where I go to church. And the third hut is where I used to go to church. Isn't that hilarious? I thought that was pretty funny. And, you know, I, I want to use it uh, just to illustrate a point. Uh, and by the way, I, I don't mean that um, story in any uh, negative sense because I understand that sometimes people will leave your church. But, you know, here's what I really wanted to get at. You know, we live in a day when... There is so much conflict and so much disagreement among people. And today, I wish it was as easy as, well, you know, I don't agree. I'm going to go somewhere else. But today, if someone doesn't agree with you, they hate you. They don't agree with your politics. It's, just a matter, it's not just a matter of I don't like, agree with you, but it's I hate you. If they don't agree with your religious views, people hate you. If someone doesn't agree with something you did, then people hate you. You know, about a week ago, uh, Danny Green, who uh, had the opportunity to score the winning basket that would have clinched another world championship for the LA Lakers, had the ball. With eight seconds left, he, sh- eight seconds left, he shot the ball, and he missed, and the Lakers lost. Do you know how some fans reacted? They reacted with hate. He and his fiancée received death threats. I mean, imagine that. Imagine threatening to murder someone because of a missed basket in a basketball game. Recently, the city of Green Bay in Wisconsin, they passed an ordinance requiring everyone in the city to wear face masks. And you know what, the city, you know what happened to city council? City council members received countless death threats Not threats of recall, but threats of murder to kill them for that vote that they made. Likewise, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the nation's top infectious disease expert, has received so many death threats that he had to hire security to protect himself and his family. About a month ago, the pastor of a Baptist church in Sanford, Maine, this church here, received numerous death threats because there was a, an outbreak of COVID-19 at his church, a pretty widespread outbreak. Um, the church, the people in his church didn't wear masks. When it was learned that a Dallas company manufactured and sold Donald Trump teddy bears, the owners received death threats. Two weeks ago, the Zambrano family in Wilmington, North Carolina, decided to fly the Mexican flag next to the American flag. They received 
a slew of death threats, more than they could have ever thought they would get for something like that. And, and here's one of the notes that they received. It said this, quote, the Second Amendment gives the right and duty with guns to rid my country of people like you and your family. Take the expletive deleted flag down or feel my wrath. And I printed out this note just as I saw it. I mean, things are getting really ugly out there. And, um, and I don't foresee that it's going to get any better. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're just fed up with it. Maybe you're just sick of it all. And you're wondering, is there any good out there? I mean, is there any good left out there in the world? Are there any good people out there? Well, the answer is yes. There are some good people out there. Well, today I'm kicking off a brand new series here called What's Good? What's Good? And for the next month or so, we're going we're gonna to focus on what's good in the world. And, and if you're tired of all the bad news, then I want to encourage you to stick with us over the next month or so as we talk about some good news. If you're tired of hearing about all the bad people, you're going to love this series. So for today's message, grab a Bible, open up our South Bay Community Church app. If you don't have it, get it from the Play Store, and then let's discover what's good. All right, so let me pray first, and then we'll get started. Well, Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to share your word all across um, the uh, online platform to tell others about the good news. And Father, during these very difficult days, when there is so much bad, Father, thank you that there is good. And, and I pray that the things that um, your word has to say to us today will encourage our hearts and help us to be people of, who will be a blessing to others and people who, who will bring good into this world. So, God, I ask that you would speak uh, through me and speak to our hearts. So I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, about three years ago, Hurricane Harvey um, slammed into the Texas coast. I mean, just uh, left a wake of destruction for as, as far as the eye can see. Federal government uh, said that Harvey damaged more than 300,000 structures. Um, most of them, many of them homes, caused more than $125 billion in damage. Uh, several weeks after the storm blew through Texas, about 18 of us from here uh, at church headed down to Rockport, Texas, Rockport, Texas, and, and we went with a group called Samaritan's Purse to help with the cleanup effort. One of the ladies in our group was Alyssa Finch. She's the one in this photo, uh, and I put a circle around her. She's right in the middle. That's Alyssa. Alyssa has been attending her church for about four years now. She's originally from Iowa. She's a school teacher here in the South Bay. Well, earlier this week, she sat down with our video team to share uh, how she's been faring through this lockdown, through this pandemic. And we're going to post her story on YouTube on Thursday. And if you don't want to miss it, you might want to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, SBCC Live, and hit the subscribe button and hit the bell so that you'll get a notification of when her story goes up. But 
when she met with our team the other day, um, she shared something that was so inspiring that I, I didn't want you to wait until Thursday to, to hear it and, and to watch it. So let me show it to you right now. Take a look. Having a conversation with a friend, he asked if I believe in fate. We talked about it and we talked about what does fate mean. And so then we get dinner and uh, we misordered some soups and call the place back and I'm like, hey, so sorry, uh, ordered the wrong soup. Can we please get the correct soup? And they're like, oh, Melissa, yeah, you come here all the time. Yeah, come on back and get the right soup. And I'm like, Melissa. So we go on back and we get the coconut soup. And so I have this extra mushroom soup, big container in my fridge. Uh, now it's the next day and I'm doing work from home and I see this homeless lady walk by and she's pushing her cart and she like gawks in my window and I'm like, hey, and she's like, hi. And so I feel this bubble in my gut, feed her. And I say to myself, oh, Finch, you only have six day old spaghetti in your fridge. You cannot feed this lady that spaghetti. You're the only one allowed to take that risk. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I don't have food, Lord. Like, what am I gonna do? And he says, soup. And I'm like, soup. So I grab the soup and it's already in the bag with the to-go spoon and everything. And I run outside and I didn't see her. And so I'm like, sis? And I didn't see her, I said, sis. And she had already turned the corner. She comes back around and she's like, yeah, sis. And I was like, are you hungry? And she almost came running up to me with her cart and was like, I am so hungry. I am so hungry. And so I gave her the soup and she's like, does it have meat in it? And I was like, yeah, it has chicken. She said, I haven't had real meat in a long time. I said, how can I pray for you? I'm not even kidding. She wrapped her arms around me and she was shorter about this tall to me. And she just hugged me like no other. And we prayed for her health. We prayed for her children. We prayed for so many things. She said she hadn't been touched in two years. And because God gave me that nudge and because I chose to be obedient, she got the soup. But not only did she get the soup, I feel like her soul was fed. She felt rejuvenated. She felt restored. She felt renewed. She felt full of the spirit. And to be able to give that because I was so full was so incredibly powerful. Isn't that great? You know, with all the bad news in the world today, there's Alyssa Finch. And she is a breath of fresh air. She really is. And as you can see, uh, she is quickly moved to tears. She was quickly moved to tears as she spoke about this homeless lady she called sis. And in fact, every, when we were in Texas, every time, every time she shared something about someone, she was moved to tears. Here she is in this photo when she went with our team to Uganda. And uh, it was time, I believe it was time to go home, and she could not bear the thought of leaving some of those children. When God went in search of someone to lead his people, the Jews. He basically had one criteria, one criteria for the kind of man that he was looking for. And it wasn't 
his oratorical skills. It wasn't his leadership aptitude. It wasn't his superior intellect. It wasn't his military prowess. God was just looking for one thing, one benchmark, one qualifying characteristic for the man who would be the prince over his people. Here's what God was looking for according to 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. If you want to turn there, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, and put it up here for you. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. You can stop right there. Underline, a man after his own heart. God was looking for a man after his own heart to be the prince over his people. And he found that man in a young teenager, a shepherd boy named David. Acts 13, verse 22 says, And he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Once again, underline, a man after my heart. Now, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Well, approximately 3,000 years ago, David became an unwitting participant in a high-stakes military uh, standoff in this beautiful valley, the Valley of Elah. Now, we saw it from a distance when we were in Israel in November, but uh, on one side of the valley were hundreds, this is 3,000 years ago, there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of Philistine soldiers, and on the other side of the valley were thousands of soldiers from the nation of Israel. And they were ready to go to war. They were ready to go at each other. And the Philistines had a distinct advantage in the form of a paid mercenary named Goliath. According to the Bible, Goliath stood nine feet, nine inches tall. One day, Goliath came down from the Philistine side and challenged the Israelites to a one-on-one winner-take-all duel. He would fight whoever they put up in a winner-take-all duel. And the Bible says that Goliath came out twice a day in the morning and in the evening, twice a day for 40 straight days to challenge the Israelites. That's a total of 80 times, and not once did anyone in Israel's camp budge. Not once. No one was willing to take him up on his challenge until a young kid named David showed up. And right away he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because he was convinced that God is, that God is. Listen to the swag in his voice when he marched out onto the battlefield to meet Goliath head on in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Can you hear the swag? It's as almost as if he was saying, how dare you? How dare you? See, David was convinced that God is, that God is. And he referred to him here as the Lord of hosts. Will you circle Lord of hosts? Let me unpack this for you. The name Lord is represented by the Hebrew letters Yad He Vav He. Yad He Vav He. Now, most of you remember that the Old Testament was written, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Yad He Vav He would look like this in English Y H V H. That's what it would look like in English, not in Hebrew. 
The reason God's name was represented by four letters was because the ancients believed that God was so ineffable, so indescribable, so beyond comprehension that his name couldn't even be uttered. And so his name was represented by four Hebrew letters, yod he vav he Y-H-V-H in English. Later, yod he vav he was transliterated into Yahweh. And that's what we call God. That's what we call God today, Yahweh. The second key word here is host, the Lord of hosts. Uh, in Hebrew, the word host is savot. It is savot, and it means armies. It means armies, and that's clear from the context here that savot didn't refer to earthly armies, but it was a reference to heavenly armies. In other words, it was a reference to the to an army of mighty angels. It's like the army that the prophet Elisha referred to in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you want to turn there, 2 Kings chapter 6. On, on one particular occasion, the king of Syria, the king of Syria was, was out to get Elisha, wanted to destroy Elisha because he was causing nothing but problems for him. And when the, when the king heard Elisha was in the city of Dothan, he sent his army uh, after him. Take a look at 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 14. It says that he sent their horses and chariots with a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. All right, so the city is completely surrounded. And Elijah's there with his servant. When Elisha's servant woke up the next morning, he looked out, and you saw this massive army completely surrounded the city, and he freaked out, rightly so. He freaked out. And you know what Elisha said to him? Verse 16, he said, Do not be afraid for those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. Do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I mean, this was insane. I mean, what was Elisha talking about? It was just the two of them against all of Syria's army. Who else was with them? Well, Elisha was referring to Savot. Even though they couldn't see them, legions upon legions of God's mighty angels were there with them, surrounding them and protecting them. And so when David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, this is what he was referring to. And when he said that, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, it was a statement of faith because David was convinced that God is, that God was real, that God existed, and that he and his angels were with him. And that's why David had no fear of Goliath. That's why Elisha had no fear of the Syrian army. And that leads me to the first prerequisite for being a woman or a man after God's own heart. And that is you've got to be convinced that God is. You've got to believe that God is, that he exists and that he is real and that he's, a, that he's powerful and that he's our creator. And that there is no one like him. You've got to believe that. You've got to be convinced of that to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Are you convinced that God is? Well, if you do... If you're convinced that God is, then you have nothing to fear as you face the future. Now, go back to 1 Samuel 17 and take a look at what happened next. Verse 46 says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Right, and, and, and this is David speaking. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. He's speaking to Goliath. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He knew that God is. And verse 47, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. This is so good. In verse 46, circle the words, circle the word deliver. In verse 7, 47, circle the word saves. And then underline at the very end, and underline the battle is the Lord's. Not only was David convinced that God is, but he knew what God could do. He knew that God could deliver. He knew that God could save. He knew that the battle would be the Lord's, that the Lord would fight his battles. You know, on Wednesday evening of this week, I received a message that one of the ladies in our church was going to have surgery on Thursday morning. And uh, she wanted me to pray for her. Uh, She's 85 years old. Uh, She lives in an assisted uh, living facility here in Torrance, I believe. She and my mom were in the same life group together. And, and so she was feeling a little bit, I understand that she was feeling a little bit apprehensive about the surgery. So she asked her daughter to contact me so that I would pray for her. So I decided to give her a call on Wednesday evening. I gave her a call. And as we chatted, I reminded her of who God is and what God can do. And I quickly realized in talking with her that I didn't need to remind her of what God can do. She already knew what God can do. And that's why she asked me to pray. She knew what God can do. You know, in fact, over the years, she has asked me many times to pray for her. When I see her in the lobby, she'll be either in a, in a, a, with, with a walker or in a wheelchair, and she would come over, you know, wave me over, and she would hand me a, a, a note, and it would be a list of all the things she wanted me to pray for. And uh, she, had, she has had tremendous faith, and she would always ask me to pray because she knew what God can do. She knew that God can answer prayers. And so I got on the phone with her. I said, well, tell me what's going on. So she told me she was having surgery, and she's a little bit nervous about it. And so I said, well, let me pray for you. I will pray for you. And she said, thank you. I'll talk to you later. I said, no, 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 don't hang up. I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. And she's kind of hard of hearing, kind of like me. And so she was ready to hang up. I said, no, 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 I'm going to pray for you right now over the phone. She said, okay, thank you very much. Goodbye. And I said, don't hang up. And so she finally heard what I said. And I said, let me pray for you now. And I prayed for her over the phone. And after I said amen, she says, I will pray for you too. She has so much faith. And I'm, she knows what God can do in answer to prayers. And that's why she wanted me to pray for her. And I'm happy to report that her surgery went very, very well. You know, the second character characteristics of someone who has a heart after God is that, is that they know what God can do. They know what God can do. She knows what God can do. She has a heart after God. And they know, people who have a heart for God, they know that, and that's why they're so eager to be prayed for, because they know what God can do. And that's why they're so eager to pray for others, because they know what God can do. That's why Alyssa said to this lady, sis, she said, how can I pray for you? Because Alyssa knew what God can do. He knew that God could do things that she could never do for her. And so she prayed for her for all these different things, she said, for her family and for her health and who knows what else. You know, one of the reasons why we know what, that we know what God can do, one of the reasons why we know that is because the Bible tells us what God can do. The Bible tells us. You can write that one down. We know that God can, what God can do because the Bible tells us what he can do. Let me give you some examples. In Ephesians 3.20, the Apostle Paul wrote this about the Lord. He said in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, this is a, a mind-boggling verse, all right? I want you to get a pen, underline, underline this. Able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Underline that. Did you underline that? He is able, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He can do more than you ask him to do. He can do more than you pray and ask him to do. He he can do more than that. He can do more than what you think he can do. I don't know about you, but I can think about all the things in God. I can think a lot of things that God can do. Well, guess what? God can do more than I even think he can do. That's how amazing, that's how big our God is. Here's another one. This is a really good one. Psalm 34, 18. David wrote, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Let me ask you something. Has your heart been broken recently? Has your spirit been crushed recently? I know a lot of people whose hearts have been broken recently. In fact, I, I think I've seen more broken hearts, including my own this year, than in any year, any previous years. Um, it's been amazing how many people's hearts have been broken. If your heart's been broken, what does God promise to do? It says it right here. He will be near to you. He will be near to you. He will be there for you. He will carry you. In the palm of his hands, he will carry you. Let me give you one more. I love this verse, Jeremiah 32, 17. I love this verse. It says, Ah, Lord God, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Isn't that great? You ought to underline nothing is too hard. In fact, you ought to underline the whole thing. Nothing is too hard for God. No matter what you're facing, no no matter how big the obstacle in front of you is, no matter how big it is, nothing is too hard for God. God can repair a broken marriage. He can heal a body that is ravaged by sickness. He can bring back a wayward child. He can rescue you from financial ruin. He can give you power to overcome addiction. He can heal your shattered heart. He can give you a child when you think it's impossible that you will never get pregnant. He will even walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. The only question is, do you believe what the Bible says about what God can do? These are just, a sam- these are just samplings of what the Bible tells us God can do. And that's why read your Bible. So you know what God can do. And when you read your Bible and you find out what God can do, it'll give you so much hope. Your your hope will soar, even during these difficult and crazy times. Second reason why we know what God can do is because we've seen what God can do. I've seen what God can do. You can write that one down. We, We have seen God move. We've seen God act. I mean, just the way we got into this building is a miracle in itself. And I had to be too long to tell you that story, but I've, I've shared it before. 
And earlier this year, right, right when the pandemic uh, began, there's a young father in our church. He, his wife had just given birth to their third child. I think she was only about a week or two old. And he became, suddenly became very, very ill. Very ill. In the space of about a week, he had five or six, maybe more surgeries. Within the space of about a week to ten days. With each surgery, his life was literally hanging in the balance. And hundreds of people came together to pray. They just prayed. And we, I know we prayed. Our staff, our pastors, we all prayed for him fervently, just nonstop. We were praying for him constantly. And his wife would text me and say, oh, he's going in another surgery. He's got another surgery. He's got another surgery. Please pray for him. Please pray for him. We all prayed for him. And we saw God move. He moved. And he saved his life. And if you saw him today, you would never think that he was sick earlier this year. We know that God can move because we have seen him move. We know what God can do because of what he's done. I've seen him move in my own life. Some of you knew my dad. He's been gone for 10 years now. Uh, for those of you who knew him, you know that he could, have, he could be a pretty tough customer. He once said to me, I was born a Buddhist and I'm going to die a Buddhist. Born a Buddhist, and I'm going to die a Buddhist. And thus, after I became a Christian, and he was not happy that I became a Christian, he didn't want to hear anything about it. And I'd come home excited about church, and he didn't want to hear anything about it. He said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And so I could never bring it up. could never bring it up. The only thing that I could do was to pray for him and my mom. And my mom's attitude was, um, I'll do whatever your dad does. I'm going to follow your dad, right? And so I prayed. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I probably prayed for my mom and dad every single day for, for over 20 years. And then I became a pastor. And then his heart started to soften. One day, I resolved to tell them about Christ, even though I was afraid to. I was terrified, because I was afraid of how my dad would react. But I decided that I needed to tell him about Jesus anyway, because he had everything to lose if I didn't. He had everything to lose. I had nothing to lose. He had, and my mom had everything to lose. They could spend the rest of eternity in hell. So one day, I, I knew this was the day, as I shook in my boots, or as I shook in my flip-flops, um, I sat down with him, and I laid out the plan of salvation. I told them about Jesus. You know what happened? They both came to faith in Jesus. They both accepted Jesus. And it wasn't long after that that my brother and I had the opportunity to baptize the both of them. Here is uh, Larry and I with our dad. He was 82 years old when he took the plunge. He may have been born a Buddhist, but he didn't die one because of what God did. God can do anything. And I know what God can do because I've seen what God can do. And if you're praying for your mom or your dad to become Christ followers, or if you're praying for your husband or your wife to become Christ followers, or you're praying for your children to become Christ followers, keep praying for them. Don't give up, right, because of what God can do. Keep praying for them. And then look for that opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And don't wait too long because I believe time is short. Don't, and don't shrug it off. Because you have nothing to lose, but they have everything to lose. Everything to lose. So tell them about Jesus. So 
two things. We know what God can do because the Bible tells us what God can do, and we know what God can do because we've seen what God can do. And people who have a heart for God know what God can do. They know what God can do. Third, people who have a heart for God know what God is like. They know what God is like. They're intimately familiar with his character and his nature. In other words, they know the very heart of God. They, that was David. He knew the heart of God. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 86, and I'm going to read it to you in the NLT version. That's the New Living Translation version. I just like the way it flows. And, and I'm just going to pick a couple of verses here. Verse 5. Here's, and this, again, was written by David. He wrote, O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Verse 12, with all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give glory to your name, for your love for me is very great. And jump down to verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. Low to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me the son of your servant. Right? In this passage, you don't hear the swag that was evident when he confronted Goliath. Instead, what you get are the words, are words that exude warmth and affection for the very nature and the very character of God. He is good. He is forgiving. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is faithful. You see, someone who has a heart after God will have on his or her heart the things, the very things that are on God's heart, which means that people who have a heart after God will be like God. They will be good, and they will be forgiving, and they will be loving, and they will be compassionate, and they will be merciful, and, and they will, <laughs> will be faithful. And that was David. That was also Alyssa. And that's why she didn't even think twice about wrapping her arms around a homeless woman at a time we're not even supposed to touch somebody. That's what Jesus would have done, right? That's what he would have done. In these very trying times, in these very trying times that we're living in, when, when love is growing colder and colder and colder by the minute, it's so encouraging to know what's good. And that is people who have a heart after God. If ever there was a time, if ever there was a time when we need a tangible expression of God's heart in the world, it is today. Boy, do we desperately need that today because people are broken and people are hurting and people are desperate and people are lost as lost can be. And here's what we must remember. It isn't the government that's going to be the expression of God's heart to the people. It isn't going to be business that's going to be the expression of God's heart to people. It isn't going to be some tech company that's going to be the expression of God's heart to people. It isn't going to be social media that's going to be the expression of God's heart to people. It isn't going to be any of our political parties that's going to be the expression of God's heart to people. It isn't going to be any of our schools. It is going to be God's people. It is going to be you and me. It is going to be the church. 
We must be the expression of God's heart to the world. But here's the problem. Not all of God's people have on their hearts what is on God's heart. When David fought Goliath, I imagine everyone in Israel believed in God. Everyone believed in God. But only one had a heart after God. Church, I hope that you'll get a heart after God. I hope that you'll put on your heart what is on God's heart. And when you do, when we do as a church, when we have on our hearts what is on God's hearts, then we will change the world. One person at a time, we will make a difference in the world. In this cold and dark world, we will be a light. We will be a blessing, just like Alyssa. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for this incredible story of a young lad named David who changed the world because he had a heart after God. And Lord, in this crazy, mixed-up world that we are living in today, when it seems like the world is getting darker and colder by the minute, I pray that you would raise up in our church hundreds and thousands of men and women and even children who will have a heart after you. I pray that the number of Alyssa's in the church would be multiplied across our church and so that we can go out there and be an expression of your heart to the world because that's what it's all about. Let us be a blessing, Lord God. Let us be a blessing. So thank you, God, for this inspiring story. Thank you for Alyssa, Father, for the ways that you've used her. Thank you for making her into a woman with a heart after you. Bless us, and may we be a blessing. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.